0: And uh, we are going to be in Lost and Found, our series week five. Next week is going to be the last message in this series. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and get to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be starting in verse 7, Luke 17, 7 through 19. You can get your Bibles there, get out your smartphone. You can use the version Bible app. If you're watching online, just open up another tab perhaps. Um, And you can find the Arise Church Denver event in that app, which is pretty cool. It has the scriptures. You can take notes. Um, Today is a cool day, too, because it's uh, Melissa and I's anniversary. Hey, honey, happy anniversary. I love you. And and did you notice that this was Melissa up here playing the guitar and singing? Didn't she do a great job? I know I'm biased, but I think she's incredible. So thank you, honey. Um, It's our 12th anniversary, and those are my kids. Um, Well, good. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. So today... Our message entitled, The One Who Comes Back. The One Who Comes Back. And if you're like, what does that mean? You'll you, you figure it out. Pay attention. Get engaged. Focus. Stop doing all that distracting stuff you're doing, those of you joining us online. I know how it is. Let's focus. We're going to learn about the one who comes back and why you want to be that person. Uh, not too long ago, I was on my uh, social media feed, and I was kind of scrolling through it, and I saw a friend of mine, the guy I know, he knows me, a pastor, a pastor, and he was, you know, pumping up his new sermon series that was about to start. And I was like, oh, cool. And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, that looks familiar. I'm like, oh, that's the same title of a sermon series that we did here not too long ago. I was like, oh. And I click on it even more. Not only is it the same title of the series, but it's the same uh, book of the Bible. And in fact, the same chunk of the same book of the Bible. And I was like, hey, we did that first. That's our idea. You know, we, we, we make our own sermon content here, um, and, and that actually was an idea that Sawyer and I put together. I, any of our stuff that's good, um, it's from Sawyer, just in case you guys know. Uh, our associate pastor, Sawyer Trap, um, he and I work on a lot of this stuff, all the series that we're doing. And I'm like, we came up with that idea. That's our idea. It's not fair for someone to claim it and use it as their own, right? I should get the Credit. That, that idea of credit makes us a little upset, doesn't it? I think I should get the credit for my idea, for my work, what I have contributed. I should get credit for it. We all feel that way. And I think that's just natural for us to, to respond that way because we want that credit. And, and what I have found is it causes actually a lot of issues. If you really think about it, it causes a lot of issues in the workplace, sometimes in families, in, in churches. It, it can cause issues in our society even we have rules and laws that we put in place to protect people and their ideas so that they get credit, right? If you're in school and, and you use somebody else's stuff, what is it called? Plagiarism. You could, get, you could fail, you could um, be expelled. If you're a professional and do it, you, you'd be fired for stealing someone else's ideas. We copyright music. Even comedians are mad when someone steals their jokes, right? We see this all around us. There's, there's lawyers, there's patents, there's litigation all happening because that's my idea, that's my thing. I did the work, I should deserve credit. Everybody's fighting about it. Even the generations fight. The older generation looks at the younger one and said, you guys haven't worked enough to earn it yet. Okay, you, guys, you guys are so self-centered. It's all about you. You're entitled. That's what the older generation says, right? You haven't earned it yet. You haven't worked your hard enough yet. The younger generation is saying, you're just saying that because of your privilege, right? Okay. There's these because because you think you earned it, but you had it so much easier than we do, right? And everybody's fighting to get credit for the work that they've put in. It causes uh, issues in our society. It, political issues about who gets credit is it the government or is it the small business owner? Everybody's fighting about who gets credit. It causes so many issues because we're so focused on ourselves. But what we're gonna to learn today is that we've got that all backwards. That idea of, do I get the credit that I need? We've got it backwards. We're, we're looking at it wrong, and we really are lost in our mindset about this. And Jesus is gonna help us become found and, and, and teach us that, hey, we've got that completely backwards. If you're worried about whether you get the credit or not, you've got it backwards. And the reason is, is because that same mindset infiltrates and infects our relationship with God. We do this because when we work hard, when we serve Him, when we volunteer our time, when we give our money, we think, God, you owe me. Look at what I'm doing for you. You might not say that out loud, but that's what we think. And that's why when we're obedient, when we're living like we're supposed to, we expect good things to happen to us. Like, ah, yeah, I've made some mistakes in the past, but I'm going to live good right now, and then something bad happens to you. God, why are you doing this? I deserve better. I've been paying my dues. Literally, I've been tithing. You should be providing for me financially, too. Why am I going through this trial when I've been faithful? We expect God to pay us back. We should get credit when we have served him so much. And that mindset, I really do think it infects our relationship with God. And we have to learn to flip that on its head. We have to learn to be the one who comes back. Stay tuned for what that means. The one who comes back. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to start reading in verse 7 as Jesus teaches us. Right here, he's going to teach this little short parable, this analogy that's going to teach us a spiritual truth. It says in verse 7, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down to eat. Okay, we, most of us don't have servants. Okay, but we do have, maybe have people that work for us. Maybe even some of you have Someone who comes and cleans your house, okay? And, and when you're doing that, when they've been working hard, when you see them, Jesus is saying, you don't say, hey, why don't you sit back? Let me serve you, give you a meal, okay? In other words, the queen, when she gets home, she doesn't give a high five to her butler. She's like, oh, good job. She doesn't do that because it's his job to open the door. It's his job to serve her, right? Jesus saying this is the way of things. If there's a servant or an employee, they get paid for the work they do. They, they shouldn't expect to be praised or get credit for doing what they're already paid to do, <laughs> they're provided to do. There's a, a great line from the TV show Mad Men, and one of the younger ad executives is mad because she didn't get credit for her idea for a commercial. Don Draper, played by John Hamm says, that's what the money's for. <laughs> What what, what, you need to think, that's what the money's for, right? You're getting paid for this job, do your job. And what Jesus is saying is, in a sense, if you work, that's your job. It's your duty to do these things. You shouldn't expect to be served in return, to be praised in return, to get all this credit for doing what your duty is, for living up to just expectations. Fascinating. He, He goes on. Verse 8, won't he rather say, the master, won't he rather say, prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. This is your job to serve me, not vice versa. Verse 9, will he, the master, thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, Jesus says, verse 10, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say... We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. He's flipping the script, isn't he? You think he should get credit. should get praise for doing all these things. And and Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you have done everything you have been asked to do, you've done your bare minimum. You've done your duty. You've done what's expected of you. Ooh, you weren't expecting to hear this this morning. Some of you are like, Jesus said that. Yes, he did. He did. He said, if you have served, if you've done everything you're called to do, if you've been obedient, if you've served, if you've given, you've done what your duty is. You're expecting praise and adulation and, and a pat on the back. Oh, great, great job. boy. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, the master is saying, you've done your duty. Now, this is a different mindset than one we have, right? <laughs> Give me credit. I did it. That was my idea, right? And, and in this story, Jesus is, is teaching us that we are the unworthy servants see we should have the heart of a grateful servant a grateful servant not expecting more and if you really do think about it if you really think about it that's how God is with us because God gives us everything we have did you know that I remember in fifth grade, I had to do a diorama project. Does anybody, anybody do those when you were a kid? School dioramas, you build this big old thing. Anybody remember dioramas? I remember in fifth grade, Mrs. Brown's class, we had to do a space station diorama. And I, was, I was like, okay, I'm excited about this. I remember getting the cardboard box, cut, cutting it. I, I put this like blue saran wrap on the front of it so it looked spacey as you looked into it. right? And I spray painted it red. I got some rocks in there. I, I built this thing. I spent hours and hours over this weekend making the best diorama I could possibly bring. And I remember bringing it into class on Monday morning, excited. I was like, look what I did, look what I did. But nobody was interested in my diorama because there was another kid who brought in this really fancy, shiny silver thing that was, was big and perfect. It was like the greatest space station that a professional could make. And was like, ooh, ah. It got voted the best space station of everyone in the class. But do you know why I was upset? Because that kid did not make that diorama. You know his parents were helping him with that thing, you know, right? That kid did not make that. That's professional level. Look at all the rest of our like, pieces of trash that we're putting together as fifth graders, okay? Anyone would know he didn't do it, yet he got all the credit. And I was upset, right? In reality, we're like that fifth grader. We expect to get the credit because of all this great work that we've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I've done all this. And God is sitting back and saying, I created you. I called you. I knit you together in your mother's womb to be exactly how you are. I gave you a brain. I helped you think. I put people around you in your life. I I set you in the home that you grew up in, in the schools that you went to so you could learn. I gave you your natural abilities and if you're a Christian, I gave you your spiritual gifts. On top of that, I'm in the very air that you breathe. Did you know that every single air, piece of breath we take in, the oxygen that goes into our lungs, and it gets, goes into our heart, pumps through our veins and to our capillaries or whatever those are, right? All of that is from God. Every breath we take, He is sustaining us in our life. If you think about it like that, we're like that fifth grader. I should get credit for this. Well, everybody knows mom and dad put that together. Okay? Yet we want the credit. But God is saying, I have done everything. Even the work you're doing, I'm putting it through you. You've done your duty. You've done your duty. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. And I think this is a mindset that we need to have because some of us get into this, really it's a warped mindset, but a lot of Christians have it. It's that God needs me. He couldn't do it without me. He needs me to serve. He needs me to show up. He needs me to lead. Look, at somebody's not giving. I better step up. Oh my gosh. And then we get like, upset at other people because they're not giving, they're not serving, they're not doing. It, it creates a martyr mindset in a lot of Christians. It, it really does. Why isn't everybody else serving like I am? But the reality is that God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to serve him. He doesn't need you to give to him. He doesn't need you to do anything. This is what the scriptures teach us. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need you. Don't believe that? Look at what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45. He says, for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served. Jesus doesn't need you to serve him. There's a great psalm that has this whole idea in Psalm 50, and this is God talking in it. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. I don't need you to serve me, to give me stuff. I don't need any of it. You weren't expecting me to say that today, were you? Especially after last week when I was like, you got to step up and serve in the kids' ministry, right? We need people to serve in our kids' ministry, we need people to serve at VBS, and you're like, now I'm saying God doesn't need you to serve. A lot of pastors, I think, are are scared to teach this this biblical truth. But it's the reality that God doesn't need you. He has angels serving him. He has everything. He can control the universe. He doesn't need you. But you get to serve him. You get to serve him. You get to be on his team. You get to give a little bit of the money that he gave you back. You get to show up and be a part of Transform Lives when you serve in our kids' ministries, you, you get to be a part of it. I think this is a, a complete different mindset. I remember when I was in college, there was a band coming through that I really liked. I was excited. It was at a church, so they were looking for volunteers to help with the setup. What did I do? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll set up. Like I, I would like, rush down there so I could be there. I want to be the guy who can be the roadie. I'll serve. They didn't even provide us food, but I was there setting up their equipment, being there just so I could be near the band, right? Has anybody done stuff like that? When it's someone we love and we're excited about, and we're like, ooh, they're important, they're special. We want to be with them. We'll even serve just to be near them. Guess what? We get to serve the king of the universe. He lets us be on his team. He lets us show up and be a part of this transforming work that transforms lives and communities in the world. He lets us be a part of it. It should no longer be obligation for us. It is now opportunity when we realize that God doesn't need us. It's one of the most freeing, good things that we can realize in our life. We don't have to be the martyr. We don't have to get mad at the people who aren't serving. We're saying, oh, I get to be a part. I'm sorry that you don't get to. Too bad for you. I love serving on this team with this guy, John Piper. Um, Pastor John Piper said, what is God looking for in the world? Assistance? No. <laughs> the gospel is not a help wanted ad. It is a help available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who let him work mightily in and through them. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't even need us. But he lets us be used by him. And one of the most amazing things is when we get to be a part of what God does. It is so exciting. It is so amazing to be able to serve people and see their, that their hearts get changed and, and they feel the love of God through what we do Giving, serving, using our time. All of that act of obedience is our duty, and it's a privilege that we get to serve that way. Not so we get the credit, but instead that God gets the credit. That's an interesting thing here. Because even as we're serving, if you really understand this theologically, God is empowering you to serve. He's giving you the breath. He's giving you the gifts. He's giving you the opportunity to do all of that. We should give Him the credit. In fact, I think that's why it says in 1 Peter uh, Peter 4.11, Peter wrote... Whoever serves must serve with the strength God supplies so that in every way God receives glory through Jesus Christ. The strength you have to serve comes from God. Tomorrow morning when we're going to be serving at VBS, a lot of you are going to be serving here. You're going to be exhausted. It's going to be hard. It's going to be wild. And at the end of the day, you know that God gave you every ounce of power and strength to get through the day. And you should be grateful that he gave you that power because he gets the credit not us. He gets the credit. He gets the kudos. He gets the praise. We just get to be a part of it. And that's amazing. And I want you guys to experience that. And I think some of you need to flip your mindset here. God doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe you things going better in your life, the trial that you're in. He doesn't owe you something better than that. I mean, his own son who served him perfectly had some trials to go through, right? Why do you think you're any more special than that? Okay? Okay. There will be hard things. God doesn't owe you. You don't get the credit. He gets the credit. Always. And that's why we need to learn to be the one who comes back. So what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean, Matt? You keep saying it. Let's see in this next story. Luke tells us in verse 11 that now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled. So this isn't a story anymore. He was teaching that story. Now he's living his life. He's going out to do ministry. And it says that Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So Galilee was the region where Jesus was from up in northern Israel. These were his people. This is where God's people, the Jews, lived. Jesus was part of them. He knew these people. They worshiped God, right? But then there was also right on the border where they were traveling between the the Jewish culture and the Samaritan culture. And the Samaritans were the half-breeds. They had been part of God's people. But they had gotten away, they had distorted the uh, Old Testament books of the Bible, they had decided not to worship in the temple, but to worship on this other mountain, so they were like the half-breeds, they weren't considered part of the people of God, in fact they were even worse than the pagans out there, because they were distorting the truth. Samaritans were not liked in Jesus' day, they were the outcasts, Jews and Samaritans didn't share meals together, they didn't spend time together, they didn't marry, They, they didn't want anything to do with each other. I don't know who that would be for you today. Perhaps, depending on your political persuasion, it might be Antifa. I'm not going to do anything with them. I can't believe those people. If you're on this other side, you might be like, I can't believe that person with a MAGA hat. I will never talk with them. Okay? Our nation is kind of divided in some ways like that. We, we don't even want to associate with those people. I'm going to unfriend them because of what they like, right? Okay. So the point is they didn't like each other. You guys tracking with me? They didn't associate with each other. And Jesus is right there on the border between these two areas. It says in verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. So they have a skin condition. They're sick. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. They had to be at a distance because they had a skin disease. And in those days, if you had this skin condition, you were considered unclean. You couldn't be around others. In fact, you had to be out like what we call is the leper colony. That's where it comes from, that concept. We don't want to get their contagious disease. They're impure. They're unclean. They're out there. We're in here. The lepers are out there yelling so that they can be heard by Jesus. And in a loud voice, they cry, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice what they say. They call him Master. Right? This is a sign of respect, of honor. Jesus, you're the Master. They're saying they're, they're the servants. They're the slaves. You, Master, have pity on us. Now, notice what they don't say. They don't say, um, you owe us. We've been living outside of the community for so long as outcasts. We, have, we are victims of this society. You owe us. Heal us, Jesus. But they realize, Master, we need you to have pity on us. Show us compassion that we don't deserve. That's what pity is. We don't deserve it. Help us. We don't deserve anything. We definitely don't deserve credit. Help us, Jesus. In verse 14, it says that when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They're healed of their skin condition. They had to go to the priest because in those days, it was Levitical law from the Old Testament that if you had a skin condition, before you could re-enter into society, you had to get approved by a priest. Probably wasn't the funnest thing, but they'd have to strip you down and, and check you to make sure you don't have skin condition anywhere. And once the priest says, okay, you're good to go, you can enter back into society. So all 10 of these men did it, and all 10 were cleansed. They were healed. Their skin condition was gone. A miracle had happened. They could re-enter society that they were accepted again. They didn't have to live as outcasts, yell at people from far away just to get somebody's attention. They could be there with people. This is a miracle that Jesus has done for them. Verse 15, it says that one of them, one of them, remember there were 10, so 10% return right here, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He is worshiping God. He is praising. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, pure worship, pure gratitude, and thanked him. And Luke puts that little line in, and he was a Samaritan. Remember he was on the border? We didn't know if those people were Jews or Samaritans. They were just the outcasts. But it was the Samaritan who worships God who has a heart of gratitude. And what Jesus says next is so important. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. See, this Samaritan, the outcast, the half-breed, was the only one who had true faith. The only one who came back. Jesus saw it in him, the faith to realize that this healing came from God, that he did not deserve it. And as an unworthy servant, as a humble servant, he comes back to Jesus to say, thank you, I did not deserve this. What's really interesting, I have it up here, that word made you well in Greek is literally the word sozo, and it can be translated as saves. I love the NIV, it's my favorite translation, but I think it gets it wrong here. Some other translations have it "save." That, that word could be translated either way, just like you're saved from a disease or you're saved from your sins. Okay, it's the same word in, in Greek. And in some places, it does mean somebody's healed. But in here and elsewhere, I think it means this person is saved spiritually. Their sins are forgiven. Jesus uses the same phrase with a woman in Luke chapter 8. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Does anybody remember this story? She'd been bleeding for 12 years, been sick for so long, and she just reaches out when Jesus walks by and grabs his cloak hoping to get healed, and she is instantaneously. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you, same word, your sins are forgiven. He spells it out very clearly in that passage. So here the same word is using, I think Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven, you are saved eternally based on your faith, because you were the one who came back. And I don't even think it makes sense logically, because does this mean the other ten weren't healed? But it already said they were healed. So why would it say they were healed, but then this guy was healed? It doesn't make sense to me, okay? logically. Or did the other nine get leprosy back? That seems kind of cruel. I don't don't think that's what happened. I think we're pointing out that this one man, this Samaritan, this outcast, as a leper and as an outcast, as a Samaritan, he is now welcome and accepted into the people of God. He is saved. He's a child of God now. Why? Because he came back. And that's why I want to encourage you to be the one who comes back. In faith, you return and say, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you, because I didn't deserve it. I am just a humble, lowly servant. You didn't need to save me. You didn't need to use me. Yet you did. This is a heart of gratitude. See, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your work. But he wants our hearts. It's an interesting thing about God. He doesn't need any of us. He has angels worshiping him angels serving him, but he wants our hearts. He wants us to return in love and in affection and gratitude to him for all that he's done for us. That's what he's looking for. I just want your heart. And that's why Jesus points out that this Samaritan, this outcast, he was the one who's the example of faith to all of us. Be like him. Be the one who comes back. Be the one who comes back. Now, a lot of people If you've ever heard this passage before, a lot of times it's preached like Thanksgiving week. It's like this is the Sunday after Thanksgiving sermon. A lot of people teach this because hey, you should go back and say thank you to the person who helped you. That is a very important lesson. Okay, (laughs) you should learn that. You should hear it. You should go say thank you. Um, Studies have even shown us that um, if an employer thanks an employee, that they're you're happier in their job and and more productive. Okay, (laughs) so say thank you to your employees. Um, it, it also says, this is one of the interesting things, different studies showed that the, uh, the most, the, the sign of a healthy, happy marriage, the, the sign that was like the most common in all the happy marriages were two spouses that showed gratitude towards each other. Okay? So gratitude is really good if you're a person to show your employees, to show your volunteers for us that are here at the church, to, to show your spouse, you should say thank you, it's very good. But this passage, I think that's kind of like a tangential thing. So you should take that. That's a bonus point for you today, okay? Go say thank you more. Praise people. Say thank you so much. Give credit where credit is due. Yes, you should. But what Jesus is pointing out, and I really think it's so important, that that very last line, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. He he wants us to be the one who comes back to God. Because that's what the Samaritan did. He he was praising God, and he fell at Jesus' feet, who's God's own son, God himself in the flesh, worshiping God. Jesus, praising God, being grateful and thanking him. This is what we're called to do. That's what it means to be the one who comes back. It's not about credit for me, it's credit for God. He gets the glory always, first, foremost, and always. Be the one who comes back. Now, uh, we've already kind of established this, but I need to say it again, because some people look at this and they think, okay, so God needs me to worship him? A lot of people think that's, that's how it works. Like God created human beings so he can get more people to worship him. And he's like, oh, I need more, I need more. People honestly have walked away from the faith because they think of God as a megalomaniac. He just needs praise and adulation. But we've already established he doesn't need any of us. He doesn't, he has angels worshiping him forever. Here's a, a fascinating thing. I think God, once again, gives us the opportunity to return in thankfulness and praise and worship. Because it actually makes us happier. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, because he struggled with that di- idea. He's like, why does God need so much worship? And he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. I say this because when you eat a really great meal, when you bite into that juicy cheeseburger, you go, mm, that's so good, don't you? Just naturally comes out. When I see my wife playing music, oh, she's amazing. Sounds so beautiful. Honey, you are beautiful. That's what we do. When we love someone, we express it, right? And when we express it, it actually brings the feeling to completion. You're happier once you've expressed it. It's a fascinating thing, and I think that's why God gives us the opportunity to worship him, because when we do that, it actually makes our hearts enjoy God more and enjoy ourselves more when we realize it's all from him. It's when we're so busy trying to get credit for ourselves that we're unhappy, I'm unhappy. Why did he steal my idea? That's my sermon, right? That's my idea. My boss stole that from me. We get angry and upset when we're looking for credit for ourselves. But when we realize that God has given us everything, he has created us, he has knit us together, he has empowered us and endowed us with different abilities and we see all those different things and we say, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving me, for choosing someone like me. And we express that in worship and in praise and say, thank you, God. We actually have our hearts full, filled with joy. God lets us worship him. He doesn't need it. But once again, he gives us that opportunity to praise him. And when we do, it changes our heart. This is a, a cool thing. Once again, there's been a lot of studies on it. And, and they, they do them at first. We'll talk in a little bit about God. But they do studies just on gratitude and thankfulness. And there's been all sorts of studies of this. And let me just read to you what some of the research has shown. That they found that through brain scans, it's, it's the, 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 um, the hypothalamus that it shows a lot of activity when people are expressing gratitude. So there's a part of your brain that expresses that. And what's interesting is that what they found is they call it an upward spiral, an upward spiral of positive emotions. So you express gratitude, it makes you feel better. And you're you're spiraling up. And then you express it even more because you're happier. And then you get happier as you express it. And there's this spiral the more we express gratitude. They have found in, in some studies... That there are physical benefits to this: that people sleep better at night, they are more likely to report, or I'm sorry, less likely to report um, health issues, aches and pains, if they express gratitude. They have overall higher sense of well-being. They're more likely to be able to overcome trauma from their past, and they have less harmful emotions like jealousy and anger and aggression. They have less anxiety and less depression, just by expressing gratitude. What's even more interesting, because that's just gratitude in general, if you just say thank you, that's going to make you feel better. But if you express thanks to God, they call it religious gratitude. Another study showed that it takes all of those things, and it takes it up another level. They found people with religious gratitude who thank God for what they have, they are even happier. They have a better overall sense of well-being and less anxiety and depression. I think God is on to something when he asks us to worship him, okay? to praise him, to thank him for what he's done. I think God knows what he's doing. William Law, one of the old Puritan writers, once said, if anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness and all perfection, he must tell you to make a rule to yourself to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. You want to be happy? Thank God. You want to be happy? Praise God. You want more joy in your life? Praise God. It's not by getting more credit for yourself. It's by giving more credit to God. Fascinating, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why God wants us to be the one who comes back. It's for our benefit. God doesn't need us to be the one out of ten that says thank you. So I think that this should change our lives. I looked in my own life. I was convicted of this, you know, I think it was like a year, a year and a half ago. Because every Sunday morning on my way to church every Sunday morning as I'm driving I pray for this I pray for you guys I pray for our staff I pray for our team our volunteers I pray that the Holy Spirit would move that he would speak through me I pray that God people's hearts would be changed I pray for, for people that are sleeping I say God wake them up so they have to come to church so if you woke up that morning maybe it was God working in your heart I, I'm not going to apologize for that I, I pray every Sunday morning for all sorts of stuff from the, for, the, for, the, for the Elevate Kids volunteers for the cafe team for welcome team for the band to come together I pray for all these things I have this whole routine that I get through on my way here But I realized something every Sunday when I was leaving church, what did I do? Listen to music, (laughs) listen to a podcast. I wasn't thanking God and I was like, what am I doing? Because we have seen lives transformed here. We've seen marriages that are just like completely on the brink, there's no hope, come back together. We've seen the broken restored, the lost found. We've seen over 20 people over the last few months accept Christ for the first time. Like, there's amazing things happening. Why aren't we praising God for these things? Thanking Him. I need to be thanking Him probably more than on the way here because anything that happens here is God working. And we should praise Him for those things. So I had to change what I'm doing in my life. What do you need to change? That's what I do every Sunday now. I'm thanking God my whole drive home. (laughs) What do you need to change, God? How, How do you bring in that thankfulness into your life? How do you respond in gratitude? Because the reality is... That Jesus is the only one who actually deserves praise. He did everything right when we fail. We sin. We don't serve when we're supposed to. We definitely don't give enough money. Okay? We're not as serving God as we should, but Jesus was perfect. He served in a perfect way. He was obedient. He never did anything wrong, and yet he didn't receive the praise he should have deserved in this life. Instead, they cursed him, and they put him up on a tree to die. But he died for us. Mark ten forty five. I shared the first half of this verse says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, we already established that, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus doesn't need us to do anything because he paid it all. He paid it all, and all to him we owe. He deserves the thanks, not us. And so that's why we need to return in worship. We need to be the one who comes back, the one who comes back. So would you please stand with me right now? I know some of you are going through some hard times right now. You're struggling, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're upset, you're sick. I don't know what it is. It's time to thank God because you have something, multiple things to be thankful for. I remember one night early on with our twins when there's three nights in a row I hadn't slept at all. The twins hadn't slept. It was, I was miserable. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was complaining. And Melissa said, Matt, say five things you're thankful for. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Middle of the night. No way finally through clenched teeth. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I am that I'm that. thankful for that too. And by the time I got to the third, fourth, and fifth things, my, my attitude had changed, right? Because I had gratitude in my heart, right? And, and it changes our outlook on the world to realize, wow, we have more than we deserve. God has been so gracious and grateful to us. So we need to be thankful to him. So, so that's what we're gonna do right now, okay? We're all here together. And we're gonna do it out loud. Because you gotta express it you got to express it if you want the full fulfillment of that joy. So I'm going to count down from three, three, two, one, and then when I do that, I want you to all say out loud something that you're thankful for. Can we do this? Okay. Three, two, one. That was okay. Let's try it again. Let's do a second thing. Three, two, one. Okay, that's good. That was a little better. Now let's say it a little bit louder, okay? Are we really thankful? Let's tell God. Three, two, one. Okay, that's good. I like it. Okay. Maybe maybe do a couple more times. Let's do it again. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Lord God, we are so grateful for all the things you've given us, way more than we deserve. We are blessed beyond measure that you have chosen us, that you've loved us, that you have brought us together in community as a church, Lord, that, that you offered your salvation to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We are the ones who are coming back right now. Help us to come back again and again and again to praise you, to worship you, to not look for credit for ourselves, but always give the credit to you. Lord God, we worship you and your son Jesus, who is the King of Kings. Let's praise God together.